0: It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. A millennial and serial entrepreneur with a million ideas floating around. Ashlyn Downs began her quilting journey running yet another business and realized her love for design and married the two passions to bring more fun and modern quilts to the ever-expanding quilting world. Her mission is to create a community for other modern quilters to find the confidence and inspiration to make beautiful quilts that fit their lifestyle. I love how Ashlyn jumps in with both feet to reach her ideals. Even as a young girl, she made a unique way to sell lemonade. Imagine an adorable little girl coming to your door to offer you to buy her lemonade instead of just having a lemonade stand in front of her house. Ashlyn, I am so excited to visit with you on A Quilter's Life.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this. It's fun to be on the other side of the microphone.
0: is Amanda Oros told me about your podcast and so I had to listen to it and I was so excited to connect with you.
1: Yeah, it's been really great getting to know the other podcasters and interviewers in our
0: little circle. It's a cool little niche to be a part of. It really is. Ashlyn, tell me about where you were born and raised. So I was born and raised in Two states.
1: I was born in North Dakota. We lived there until I was about 12. And then we relocated for my parents' work to Salt Lake City, Utah. And I don't know if you've been to either of those places, but they're pretty different geographically (laughs) and in every other sense. So it was a bit of a culture shock, but. It's been really great. And we still live here. Met my husband here. All of our kids have been born here. And yeah, we're loving
0: Utah. I hear we have something in common. I also have five children. Oh, cool.
1: It's been a lot. (laughs) I go back and forth. I have always wanted to have a large family. And now that I have five kids, as you probably know yourself, It's a lot of work and I appreciate my parents a lot more. I'm one of five as well. So I'm the oldest of five kids and turned around and had five kids myself. And I really just have a whole new lens of how my parents' lives
0: were shaped by having so many of us. And for six months, when I was 40 years old, I had five teenagers. Holy cow. (laughs) and you survived I did I'm living proof is there a special childhood memory I have a very good memory and I can
1: remember and recall a lot of my childhood which I think is slightly abnormal I'm told it's not normal and the people around me don't seem to remember most of the things that I can remember so It's hard to pick just one, but just coming from a very large family, my dad's family in particular, his mom, my grandma, is one of 14 children. And so just getting to grow up in a family culture that just values family connection and love and acceptance has really formed a lot of me and my memories It's formed my hobbies, my interests. yeah. And I just remember getting to spend, if not every weekend, most weekends of my young childhood with cousins that were my age and always having adventures. And I think millennials are probably the last generation of children to experience a low tech life where there's not social media in our faces 24 7 and I just loved having that and I look at younger kids now and even my younger siblings who are a little bit younger but not by a lot had quite a bit of a shift compared to me growing up and so I think just getting to live in a world without those distractions and the tv and the phones and all of the technology and going outside and building forts on my cousin's farm and sewing little pouches out of leftover satin fabric from my grandma's and great grandma's stashes. And yeah, I think we're living in a different time. It makes me
0: really appreciative for getting to grow up differently. Mm -hmm. Can you tell about some of the employments you've had over the years?
1: I have almost always had a creative sort of job my first job was in a flower shop slash bakery owned by two sisters one was a florist and one was a wedding cake baker and so they had a shared shop and I started as the floral assistant and over time kind of Filled in here and there, and they realized, like, oh, this girl can bake too. So I was kind of just doubly employed (laughs) at 16. (laughs) It was really empowering to be young. They didn't treat me like an adult, but they really saw my skills and my potential and really valued them and respected what I had to offer. And they were just so kind and loving to give me those positions when i think about it now and i probably wouldn't have hired a 16 year old to do either of those jobs but i guess i was pretty mature for my age and <laughs> i knew what i was doing or pretended to know what i was doing pretty well <laughs> and then from there i got a job at a cafe as the head baker and Was their pastry baker, and I met my husband there. So that's where that started. And then once I had our first daughter, I got to work as an after school art program teacher, and that was really, really fulfilling. I eventually had to let go of that because after adding our second daughter to the mix, it was just too much to get like temporary people to watch them while my husband would still be at work most of the time just for about like an hour and a half or so a day so the drop-offs and pickups for just that little short time ended up not being worthwhile but I do miss it and that was a really unique opportunity to learn how to teach essentially and that's carried over into my quilting life as well as I began teaching workshops and stuff I was like oh I know how to do this. And granted, it was mostly for children when I was teaching, but I did have some adult classes. But I've learned that, I mean, not to sound condescending, but that's what quilters learning a new skill need. They need that same almost hand-holding and that same empathy. And they're learning this thing for the very first time most of the time as well. So that's been a really cool experience to have then once i quit doing that i opened my first business and i don't know if you've listened to my podcast where i talk about being a serial entrepreneur but <laughs> this was my first actual legal business i wasn't doing anything shady before that they were all just <laughs> through my childhood i would sell erasers or go door to door selling lemonade on a wagon because I thought these cars aren't stopping for me in my driveway. I have to bring it to their (laughs) door. So I would go around the streets just harassing our neighbors to buy lemonade. (laughs) So going back to my first Etsy shop, I started making baby blankets because I was expecting our third daughter by that point. And I wanted to try making blankets, and I discovered, oh, I'm pretty good at this. My sewing skills weren't too rusty. I kind of was doing that like minky thing before that was really popular. Certainly wasn't the trendsetter, but they weren't everywhere like they are now. And I was making blankets and selling them at markets and had a few wholesale accounts. Yeah. And then I think that. Industry sort of boomed. And then my products that I was making by hand and selling for as low as I could to make a profit were then available at Target for $12, you know, and just mass produced kind of everywhere. And a lot of handmade sellers like me kind of just became irrelevant. So I closed that shop and Then in 2020 actually was when I opened my next Etsy shop and I was taking antique and vintage quilts and repurposing them. I know that's super controversial. (laughs) I wasn't in the quilting world quite yet. So I got bitten by that bug. I'd always loved antique quilts and I had a little bit of a collection going already. I've always loved textiles. So I appreciated the antique and vintage quilts. And I think in a way that a lot of other repurposers didn't or don't. And I would really look at the quilt and evaluate if this is something that can be salvaged or not. If it could be salvaged and saved and repaired, I would do that and resell it and send it on its way somewhere else so it could continue to be used or appreciated. And I really tried to only buy quilts that were in disrepair and really could never be used on a bed again or snuggled with again. During that process, I fell in love with patchwork and just the design of quilts. And I would be looking at these, I'd be making Christmas stockings out of an antique quilt and thinking this would be so much cooler if it was in black. Or if these patches were a little bit bigger and this scale was a little bit smaller. So I, out of the blue, just started quilting one day in 2022. And I was like, I just want to make a little four patch in beige and white and I want it for my bed. And it started getting really out of hand when I finished (laughs) the patchwork and I thought "Mm, it needs a little bit extra. So I started re-piecing it into like curve piecing from the original four patch quilt top. And I spiraled out of control and ended up making my first improv quilt as my first quilt. (laughs) And yeah, that's really what stemmed quilting for me. I caught the bug really fast. I think... Since then, so a year and a half ago, I have made 71 quotes.
0: (laughs) Yep. Once that bug hits, it hits hard, doesn't it? Yep. If you had the opportunity to talk to your great, 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 great grandchildren, what would you hope that they know about you or what would you like to say to them?
1: Legacy is just so important to me going back to my dad's family, I guess both of his parents are Germans from Russia, like immigrants, their parents were, I suppose. So my great grandparents on both sides of that line are immigrants. And we can only trace that lineage back for five generations from myself. And I just hope to preserve going forward. (laughs) I don't know. I'm so emotional about that and make sure that our family history is well documented and that future generations know where they came from and know who the people that made them were. But for me in particular, so much of what I do professionally as a quilter is for the future generations. I want to leave a mark on the industry that just sets up the next three, four generations of quilters with the tools and resources and ideas to inspire their creativity in a way that I think quilters right now, my age, have had to look really hard to find or to create for themselves. And I want to make it so that when they get to that point, that it's just there waiting for them. And I don't necessarily need my name attached to that movement or anything. I don't need credit. I just need my future great-great-grandchildren to know how much I cared. And to know how much I cared about them. Yeah, it's also just... (laughs) not to get super dark, but it's a little bleak as someone in my generation. I had five children and I know that many of my friends and my siblings even are debating on if they are going to have children or not. They don't have confidence in the outcome of the world. And it's really daunting at times. I guess I disassociate sometimes <laughs> just to get through, but it's really hard to think about and to consider wow, we might not get to have that. And certainly I'll have grandchildren probably, but I don't know. Who knows where the world will be in 100, 150 years? And I just hope that they know that I cared and that I cared for the world and for particularly quilters in the quilting
0: industry. It's great to hear you talk about thinking about them as you're living your life now. So many of us don't. I
1: hope that science and technology is around long enough that maybe I could know my great, great grandchildren. I have really fond memories of all of my great grandmothers and was really fortunate to have known them and to have known them for so long and so vividly and for them to have had long and fulfilling lives and healthy lives at that That they also got to enjoy me so yeah my oldest got to meet my great-grandmother so she was her great-great granddaughter and that was just really special she passed away during COVID but my daughter was already six and that's that's old enough to remember that and that's pretty profound if you ask me
0: (laughs) that's wonderful I'm a little jealous (laughs) most of my grandparents were gone by the time I could remember anything and the one grandparent I had lived on the East Coast, and I was raised on the West Coast. So I didn't have that opportunity, and I really think it's wonderful when you do.
1: Yeah, I think grandparents are super important to the lives of kids and just having that village. Sorry that you had to live so
0: far (laughs) from yours. But we got to move right next door to my husband's grandparents in I took full advantage of that.
1: Oh, that's so wonderful. And hopefully, were your children born where they passed away?
0: Yeah. In fact, I homeschooled and his grandmother did cooking lessons with my kids. Oh, that's so special. Mm -hmm. Besides quilting, are there other crafts that you do or have done in the past?
1: I think sewing has kind of just always been the craft. I've always been really interested in art. I think I kind of separate that in my brain a little bit as more art specific, but yeah, nothing in particular. I've just always been the kid that makes something or the woman that volunteers to make the <laughs> the class, whatever, the little decorations for the Halloween party, the beanbags for the beanbag toss, whatever. I think those opportunities have always either fallen into my lap or I've jumped at the opportunity to exercise those muscles and, you know, handmade gifts and all that kind of fun stuff that comes as a young mom. And you have to do those little fun things with your kids and teach them that they can have that. Ownership over their creativity. And sorry to be off subject a little bit, but I think growing up, I wasn't stifled, but my mom really didn't like messes. And so painting was pretty much always out of the question. Chalk pastels were out of the question. Using my oil pastels was like a very rare occurrence. And so I try to give my kids a lot more flexibility and freedom. In regard to that and I hope that <laughs> they're appreciative of that when they get older I know every mother has their <laughs> has their own downfall or whatever but I really aimed to just be different in that stance I think that is so important for kids to have and to just have access to those supplies and those tools and to learn how to use them and Able to express themselves. So,
0: yeah. How about other hobbies?
1: Parenting. (laughs) I haven't really had many other hobbies. I enjoy reading a lot with young kids and school-age kids. I typically just do audiobooks mostly these days. I always have one physical book, but truthfully, it takes me multiple months to get through. A hard copy of a book but I do really enjoy reading and I really love cooking cooking is probably a close second to quilting for me I like just experimenting and trying out new foods and going to restaurants and trying a new dish and coming home and fixating and driving my family insane with the same meal for like four weeks while I try to perfect it and then once I do we'll probably never have it
0: again. (laughs) Well, parenting is exhausting. I remember sitting on the couch, reading to the kids and falling asleep and my mouth would still be going to be, uh, uh, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) At least many times they would wake me up to finish the story, but soon they got to realize, oh, we can go play now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. You got out of the story time and
0: you got a nap. (laughs) (laughs) The question is, do you think your hobbies show up in your quilting? So you mentioned reading and cooking. Do you think they'll show up in quilting at all?
1: Not in particular, I guess my quilting. (laughs) I don't know. I have a hard time separating like just interests and hobbies I guess I also do a lot of drawing and painting. Nothing too serious, more sporadic, but that certainly comes into my quilting a lot more. It's not a hobby I suppose, but I'm really interested in architecture and travel, though I wish both of those could be hobbies. <laughs> and I could do traveling a lot more. I think the thing that most reflects in my quilt is probably architecture and just the inspiration from those elements. In particular, the design of cities
0: is really prevalent in my work. That would be so helpful in you creating your patterns. Yeah. You mentioned how you began to quilt, but was there someone that helped you along the way there or did you find it on the internet how did your thought process go in starting that first quilt
1: as far as learning how to quilt I am self-taught a couple of YouTube videos as far as more like best piecing methods go but part of deconstructing the antique quilts well, during that process, I was really paying attention to their seam work and their workmanship and just how things were put together. And when there was a more complicated block, I found a lot of joy in trying to figure out how they pieced it, the way that I thought they had pieced it and then trying to decide if that was the best practice for a modern version of that, knowing that we have really efficient sewing machines and do most of our work by machine. Yeah, I think there's been a learning process as far as just fine-tuning that work and just maybe researching different methods. But as far as the sewing itself, it was really just honed from the deconstruction and just having a previous history of sewing little garments occasionally and the baby blankets in the past so I definitely knew my way around sewing machines by the time I started quilting which I don't think a lot of quilters come to quilting also new as a sewist and that's just kind of a whole different ball game when you're learning how to quilt and how to use your machine. But once I started piecing that first quilt, I made the whole four patch quilt top in one day or whatever. And I texted Lacey a picture of it and said, "Is this a quilt?" <laughs> she goes, "Uh, yeah, that's a quilt. What are you doing?" <laughs> and so I was like, "Oh, I think I'm going to just do this And she goes like, hold on, you, you can do that? And I was like, yeah, I guess. I just cut the curve shape and put it back together. And her enthusiasm for what I was doing and support was just really an important piece of me continuing to quilt and just the encouragement along the way and validation, but also just the camaraderie of having a quilty friend I think is a lot of what kept me interested in it and yeah
0: we got to really grow closer in our relationship because of quilting well you mentioned Lacey and I know who she is but let's share what is your relationship with her and tell about when you first met her so Lacey Messerly is my sister
1: in law. She is my husband's sister. I mean, we go back. (laughs) I think we first met. I think she tells the story differently. She has, I think, just a really emotional response to our initial relationship. But the way we first met was (laughs) Nick and I were dating, and we had gone to dinner at his father's house and we got to hang out a few times and whatever. And I got pregnant pretty early in our relationship, but I think she remembers it as the first time she met me, I was pregnant with her brother's child. So it's really funny that she remembers that it that way, but I did meet her previously
0: (laughs) i'll set the record straight (laughs) yeah i wanted to get both viewpoints (laughs) you've talked about how many quilts you've made in all of those or maybe even a quilt that you found do you have a favorite quilt
1: oh i don't know i have a really Deep appreciation for that first quilt. It's on my wall. It's more like artwork. I won't say it's the first and the last quilt that I will hand quilt, but (laughs) for now, I don't plan to hand quilt. I would love to again someday, but it just took a lot out of me. But I think that one, and I also made a quilt last year that is like concentric tree rings and they're all improv curved pieced and it looks like the cut edge of a log and so it's the inner rings and it was to just kind of commemorate me and my quilting journey as well as my like last year in my 20s right before I turned 30. And so that quilt is called 29 and there's 29 rings on it and It was really fun to make because, well, fun and emotional, I will say, (laughs) going through and working forward in my life instead of backwards and going, oh, like, I don't remember probably until I was three, but each ring after that was kind of representative of how I now interpret that year of my life. And so there's some really thin lines on there and just hard times and some notches in there. And like, there's a big gash and like turning 16 was really hard. That was the year my parents got divorced and just lots of different reflections in this quilt. And looking at it as a whole, I don't think people... Can put that onto their life. But when I see it, it's just really something I will always keep and be able to reflect on. So.
0: Since those aren't the type of quilts I normally make, I forget that there can be these quilts with such emotional ties. I mean, they all have emotional ties, but that really sounds like it's a tight emotional tie.
1: It was really special to me. I'm really glad that I did that. I don't think a lot of quilters quilt for themselves. And I guess going down the more art quilt route, I've had the privilege of getting to keep a lot of my work and not just
0: getting it away. Do you have a tool that you are so happy that you have? Yes.
1: I'm going to say three. (laughs) If that's okay with you. The first one is my Juki machine. In the year and a half that I've been quilting, I have purchased two machines. I started with a Bernina that I received from my in laws, which was really generous of them. My mother in law is a big quilter as well, and they got Lacey and I both sewing machines one year and that's just been really really important and really special so I started with a Bernina and once I started quilting I kind of realized that there wasn't enough throat space I was really happy with the machine but I just needed more space and so I started looking into different machines and I really like sewing fast I'm kind of a speed demon (laughs) So I then bought a Janome and had a lot of tension issues and so I really have only used my Janome machine like two times and I don't know what to do with it. I'll probably get it tuned up and see if it'll work, but for being a brand new machine it was really kind of frustrating so I didn't use it and I went back to my Bernina and then In July of 2023, I purchased a Juki and it was not to be dramatic, life altering. (laughs) I was kind of a Bernina snub until then. And I am so happy with the Juki machine and the way that it works and just its efficiency. And if you own a Juki or if anybody listening has a Juki, I know that you are also a speed demon and you just like to sew (laughs) fast. And the next tool that I would say that I really love is my Aliso iron. I was gifted that from a really dear quilt friend in our quilt guild. She had an extra one and she said, do you want this? And I was like, I have an iron, but yeah, I want that cool one. Just thinking like this would be a cool iron to have. And the Aliso iron is just a next level. So I love my iron. And lastly, and maybe, maybe not most importantly, is my design wall. It's just a little Fawns and Porter design wall, but my favorite feature of it is that it has grommets on it. It's really similar to like a vinyl tablecloth. I think a lot of quilters use those, but this one has the grommets so that when I Pin it up on my wall, the grommets can hang on the pins, and I'm not pinning through the tablecloth. And then it also has a grid print on it, which is super, super important for me as an improv quilter because I'm not really working with squared up edges a lot of times. And if I am, they still need to come together, and I need to see how it's going to work on like a Y seam or where I'm going to piece stuff. So the grid has been really cool.
0: I don't think I've heard of a design wall that has a grid on it. That would be really nice. Yeah. Well, we found out with our quilting that there are so many steps. It's not just a few. There's quite a few steps. Do you like the whole process or is there one step you like? I think people have really strong dislikes
1: for one part of the process and I don't know if I have that but I do have a favorite part and it's the design process and it is the fabric pull I would love to just do that (laughs) I enjoy making quilts too but I love 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 picking out fabrics and seeing them in person and touching them and seeing how they work and play together and yeah I like the whole process. I think I get kind of annoyed with the binding, but it's usually pretty close to the end and justified when I get through it. So
0: no part that's too hated either. (laughs) So do you sew your binding on the one side and then hand sew it, or do you do the whole thing by machine?
1: Lacey and I, we don't butt heads. It's not a genuine disagreement it's just a silly disagreement where we like to go back and forth at each other and I'm a hand binding advocate and I know she loves her machine binding but it's definitely a me thing where I'm just not happy with my result ever and I've seen so many great machine bindings so I probably just need to practice more but I love the look of the hand binding so I typically go that route unless I'm in a very big rush to
0: get a sample
1: done or something.
0: <laughs> well, lately I have seen some hand bindings where the thread is actually showing. Oh, yeah. And I've always done it where you don't see the thread at all. So I could ask if you like hand binding, but I realize there's different styles to that even.
1: Yeah, a big stitch binding. I'm done it on a small little project mostly just as like a sample and to show that binding style we did a cool guild meeting where we just showed different binding types so that was fun to prepare I struggled with it though I think I might have just been using the wrong needle or something but it took all of my finger and arm And wrist power to like get the needle through all of those layers. So I'm probably doing it wrong. So if anybody listening has a great
0: tutorial on that,
1: feel free to DM it to me on Instagram.
0: (laughs) Share your worst quilting experience. Oh, my worst quilting experience.
1: (laughs) Not to throw anybody under the bus, but it was definitely. Getting one of my first quilts back last year from a quilter that I hadn't used before. And it was just not at all how I had expected it to turn out. It was through like a local shop. And so they were the middleman. And there was just a really big lack of communication. And that was the first quilt that I had ever had long armed. So. It's safe to say that ever since then, I've been really particular about my long arm pantograph scale and have probably annoyed all of my quilters, Lacey especially. (laughs) But I go out of my way to over communicate my desires and expectations for the scale of quilting and like the density of the quilting. Because that was really heartbreaking when you put that much time into a quilt and to have it kind of almost ruined by top quilting. But that was definitely my worst quilting experience.
0: One, I'm too cheap to send mine out. But two, I've heard so much. I know there's good quilters in my area, but most of them are for great nieces and nephews and not going to be show quilts anyway. So. I just do my straight line quilting right across them. I don't mind doing straight line
1: quilting. It's really taxing on my body. And I tend to do that more when it's a special project for a loved one. I like putting that time into it. It feels more special. But I also run into a lot of just tight deadlines with design work and getting patterns out and getting samples made. So I'd like to spend more time doing my own quilting. But I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I just need to slow down a little bit.
0: Well, it is surprising when you have your own business, how many details that when you started, you didn't realize you were going to have to do. There is just a lot to do with business. It's really never ending
1: in particular in regards to like craft related businesses or quilt-related businesses, I think a lot of people enter in wanting to just spend more time doing the thing that they love, when in actuality, you end up doing everything that the business needs and somehow have less time to do the thing that you love the most. For myself, I'm the marketing director. I'm the photographer. I'm... (laughs) I'm the salesperson. I'm the customer service person. I'm the designer. So it's a lot different. And that's something that I always tell our listeners on our podcast and friends that are thinking about starting a creative business. And just really making sure that not I don't discourage them, but I try to protect their love for what they do a little bit. Because I think You loving that is way more important (laughs) than making money off of it. And if it works out and you're really passionate about running the business, then great. But I'm kind of in the camp that thinks, you know, it would probably be easier to just get a really simple job that pays you and to be able to check in and out and then be able to do the thing that you love on the side. I don't know. I just think it's a lot different now having just a handmade business. And I try to help spread awareness for that.
0: (laughs) Well, when I first contacted you, I did mention that I'm proud of you and Lacey. I know as business owners in the past, we had a computer business for 18 years, and we've been entrepreneurs for quite a while. And I know that a lot goes into it. So Seeing all that you do, I'm really proud of you too.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really proud of us too. Not to toot our own horns, but I'm really proud of Lacey and just in particular for our podcast. And just really proud of her for saying yes to my crazy idea. I'm the idea lady, and she calls herself the spreadsheet lady. Going into it, I knew that we would have success just working together. I just know that our skill sets are so complementary, and that's really where a lot of our successes come from. I think a lot of this game is just sticking to it. And if you're on your own, like you are, I don't know if I could do that. She's said to herself, she doesn't think she could do it herself. So I'm really glad that we have each other for it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm everyone has the same amount of time and we could do anything really that we want, especially in the United States, we have so many opportunities to do what we want. Why do you think you continue to quilt when you could do anything else?
1: I think quilting seems to be the sweet spot of all of my interests and skills I think it just combines them all so beautifully I love to do design work and I think being able to exercise that has been really freeing for me as I would say mostly just as a young mom and it's just been a really good escape and way to decompress and make sure that I'm Taking the time to develop myself. I think the biggest reason why I have stuck with quilting is what I said earlier about just the future generation and making sure that they have what they need when they want to start. Yeah, it's really important to me to keep the legacy of quilting alive. And I don't want to gatekeep it i want to make sure that whoever's interested in it in the future can do it and has access to what they need to do it and breaking down a lot of the like socioeconomic barriers is important to me and i'm working on ways to help solve a lot of problems in that area i think as we go farther into it I would love to see people make quilting how they want to. And I think preserving the history of quilting is really important. But I think pushing it forward and letting it evolve is just as important. So I really like educating people on the history of quilting and holding that really special and near to my heart. And then just like, really helping to empower people to push
0: forward and make the quilts that they want to make and see and use. Each of us has our dreams for our quilts. And it's great that we can learn to do what we want with our quilts. You've alluded to the quilt police, I believe. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, We talk about the quilt police quite a bit on our podcast. I think when you're a beginner quilting, there's a lot of shoulds that get thrown at you. And as somebody that is a pretty uh, creative spirit, I don't like those shoulds at all. (laughs) I can respect a hard and fast rule, but when there's not a good reasoning for it, or if the reasoning is because we do it that way, then I immediately want to try to find a different way to do it. I'm a little too sneaky like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm there with you.
1: It's hard to balance that because I don't want to ever come off in a way that it seems like I think I know more or I know better. I'm just a kind of curious and creative little tinker. I just have to test it out and see if this is a it's a productive method to (laughs) achieve something or. (laughs) And if I fail, I don't really have a lot of shame around failure. So, <laughs> I guess that's a good skill set.
0: And who do you usually make your quilts for? You mentioned for yourself quite a bit, but are there others too?
1: Yeah, all of my siblings have gotten one. So there's five of us, like I said, and we have a matching tattoo that is five little dots on our wrist and each dot represents one of us and so whoever's tattoo it is their birth order dot is larger than the others it's really minimal and it's really cool and I took that design and made it into quilts in the sense of the quilt they're giant circles (laughs) and whichever birth order is the larger circle so I've made those and honestly for how many quilts I have made I haven't given as many away as I would love but I think that's mostly attributed to just still needing them for photos and pattern work so I hope that I can give more of those away in the future but I think a special gift that I've made is the one that I made for my friend Taylor of Toad and So. Lacey and I made her a quilt for her wedding. I did all of the piecing and Lacey long-armed it and it was just... I hope I don't sound too <laughs> arrogant, but it was just a beautiful quilt. And I'm really proud of that quilt and it really just matched our friend so perfectly. and. She had never made herself a quilt for her own use and nobody had ever made her a quilt. We found that that's a pretty chronic problem for quilters, that we don't get quilts ourselves. So to just really love on her right before her wedding and make her a quilt that she could actually use on her bed and that matched her
0: style and her home. And I think that's probably been my favorite quilt that I've gifted how thoughtful there's so much thought that goes into lining it up with her designs that's cool how about a special project now so currently i am working on
1: a quilt submission for quiltcon i have a couple done and this is my last one before the deadline it is an improv Curved pieced landscape. And it is based on this (laughs) drawing that I made for a mural that I painted at my friend's church locally. It was originally supposed to be a paint by number mural. I wanted it to be black and white and really cool and visually striking. I wrote in the numbers that would have the corresponding colors. And so that process was just like so intense to figure out the actual coloring of something that wasn't ever going to be colored. And so I went through that whole process and designed that mural and I got it up on the wall. My friend who's the pastor's wife looked at it and we kind of decided like, oh, it probably does need some color. And she said, what if we leave it like a work in progress. And so only have some of it colored in throughout as just kind of pops of color. And it kind of just be the message of like, God's not finished yet, kind of thing. So I was like, oh, I love that. Let's do that. So I go in, we get the paint and I'm selectively coloring part of the mural. And we get it to a point where I'm really happy with it. She's really happy with it. And we kind of pack up and put everything away. And then people start kind of filtering into the church for that, whatever session was about to happen. And multiple people go, oh, are you coming back to finish it? And after like the third person of my friend, the pastor's wife explaining it, we kind of looked at each other and we go, we're going to have to paint this whole mural, aren't we? (laughs) So I ended up painting the entire mural and it's really pretty. I really am happy with it and I'm proud of it, but it wasn't the vision that I had. So since I've been quilting, I've had that in the back of my brain and it has been a behemoth of a project. (laughs) I just hit 153 hours on it And I'm not done piecing it yet. So I'm very close to finishing it, but it's been a really big, big project. So by the time this airs, maybe we'll have found out if it gets into QuiltCon. And if it has, (laughs) we'll celebrate. And if it hasn't, send me a DM with condolences because that was a big chunk of my life.
0: (laughs) Oh, I hope it does. (laughs) This will be my first year to get to go to QuiltCon, and I want to see that quilt. I hope I can see it there, too. (laughs) Describe your sewing space.
1: My sewing space has evolved from a desk in my room. Well, in our current house. In our previous house, my sewing space was... A pop up shop every day on the kitchen table. And then it had to be all cleared off and put away so we could whatever. And now, since we've moved, I had originally set up a little sewing space in our room and that worked fine for the products that I was doing for Etsy. But as soon as I started quilting, it got relocated to our living room. So. I do have a specific sewing space and it's permanent and it's set up as a sewing space and have a design wall. I don't know. We have a weird living room, the living room. And then there's like a little alcove that's still part of the same room. But I don't know what they thought people would use this room for because they put a door right next to it. So it's kind of impossible to use otherwise. So we have a giant sewing table. With my machine, and yeah, everything's out in the open for little toddler hands to touch. And my three year old recently broke off the tension knob for my machine. That was pretty frustrating, but fortunately, things don't get tampered with too often.
0: My oldest daughter has come back and apologized for going in my sewing room and messing my machine up multiple times.
1: Oh my goodness. Was there anything so detrimental that, that you had to have it
0: repaired, or was it more minor stuff? It's hard to remember back then. I didn't know she had gone in, so I didn't know why things were off. But then there were times they just went in there and pulled thread and thread and made the huge spider webs that they loved. <laughs> Little thread nests. Do you have a quilting tip to share? Yeah, I
1: actually was just thinking of this yesterday. I'm an art gallery socialite, and they asked what would be the best walk to start with. And my tip is to just start with what you love, what you're drawn to, what interests you. And if it's a very advanced pattern, figure out the building blocks or the steps to get there instead of feeling like you're drowning in a style or patterns that don't speak to you or you don't find interest in making if you're more just gung-ho to learn how to quilt then great but I think a lot of people have the desire or dream to make quilt xyz and instead of just buying the pattern and figuring out how to make it, maybe it'll take five times longer, but in the end, they have made a quilt that they like. I think that's more important. That's my unpopular opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Do the curved piecing if you want to make curves and learn the hard skill first. There's no
0: hard and fast rule on what you should and shouldn't do first. That is so true, because so many people laugh and say you can't believe that i started on this quilt you know i loved it and so that's why i started on and it seems like i hear that a lot so they're the ones that have stuck with it
1: yeah as a beginner you don't really know any better and so you have the blissful ignorance of just <laughs> starting where you start and if it's hard for you then you have to put in a little bit more time. But I think if you're really interested in the end result, then you're way more likely to stick with it and enjoy the process.
0: Mm -hmm. I always have made the assumption that people have quilting as a hobby and then it turned into a business for them if they have a business. Was that true with you or did you have business in mind when you started quilting?
1: I think I definitely just started as a hobby, but I can never half butt anything. And (laughs) I get a little over involved in pretty much everything I do. (laughs) Hence the serial entrepreneurial streak, but it really quickly evolved. And it wasn't really about monetizing it, it was more so. Just the general interest of people in the
0: quotes that I was making. Share with us the name of your business and tell us how you came up with the name.
1: My business is Urban Dwell Studio. I just wanted a business name that would reflect kind of the overall style and aesthetic that I gravitate towards and hope that the name kind of just grabs people's attention who are looking for more modern and really interior design focused patterns. I hope that's what that accomplishes.
0: (laughs) Were the patterns the first thing you started selling in your business? Yeah that actually kind of evolved.
1: So with my Etsy shop and repurposing the antique quilts, I had written a couple of patterns. That was kind of as I was starting to quilt and it never really occurred to me that I would eventually write quilt patterns. I wrote a fanny pack pattern and a little Easter basket pattern to use like either pre-quilted panels or repurposed antique quilts. And so the patterns were designed with those materials in mind and really walked people through the process of how to use and finish like a cut quilt with exposed batting. And so I developed that. And as I grew into that business and kind of fell out of love with not really the business, just the overall products. They had never really been my particular style. I liked making this stuff, but it was always really hard to do product photos because I couldn't just put them in my house somewhere because my interior design is super modern and contemporary. And I was trying to show a cute handmade stocking out of vintage quilt. And so There was a lot of clashing. And so when I had a lot of success with those patterns, I kind of started thinking, what other patterns can I make? Sort of as I kept that gear going, I was falling out of love with the actual products. And while those gears were moving, I was falling more in love with actual quilting. And then in the fall, I saw Elizabeth Chapel's pattern writing course and decided to pursue that mostly out of interest. I wasn't sure that that's what I was going to do, but I wanted to see if I could improve at the very least my patterns I'd already written or gain better knowledge on how to create patterns that were more up to industry standard and just kind of gauge how I was doing things with what the expectation of customers was. So that was mostly what I went into it thinking. And by the time I finished, I had really decided on a path and how I was going to pivot my
0: Etsy shop into quilt patterns. There's always so much more involved. It it still surprises me and it shouldn't. I know there's always a lot of steps. So you Got your patterns up on Etsy. And do you remember selling that first pattern? I do. It did
1: pretty well. I think because of my following at the time, my customers were largely and almost exclusively young moms and women my age who were just becoming stay-at-home moms and Had interest in making stuff for their kids and were kind of trying to start picking up a hobby and were interested in sewing. And they were also the women who were interested in the like cottage core aesthetic. So I got really lucky in marrying the two and I think sparked a bit of a sewing interest and like creative interest for many of those women. Yeah, I think those patterns had a lot of success and just being able to do kits, I sold a lot of kits and that's actually how I transitioned out of my products is I just cut up the remainder of quilt stock that I had and put together like Fanny pack quilts and Easter basket candy basket kits and I sold them at a local market and yeah, it was kind of great to be able to liquidate my stuff that way, but I don't do those anymore. And those patterns are separate from my Urban Dwell studio patterns. Those are just on my Etsy shop in my old business name. So I guess I technically still have that business. <laughs>
0: <laughs> have you ever experienced where you're looking at a quilt and suddenly realize that's my pattern? They made my pattern. Yes. So I think the
1: first time that happened, I wasn't unaware that it would happen, but it was really moving when my guild made my first released pattern, the overpass quilt. They recently, over this last year, have made, I don't know, there's probably... 10ish or more that made my pattern and they were displayed all together at one of the shows in Salt Lake earlier this year and so walking in and seeing just a row of my pattern was really it was really really cool as a pattern designer but also just as a friend like it's really special how loving and supportive they've been so that'll definitely stick with me for a forever if not for a really long time is just how loving and
0: supportive they've been and celebrating me and cheering me on mm-hmm I noticed on your website you also offer workshops what are some of the titles of your workshops
1: my workshops are all improv based I teach improv in multiple different time chunks. We can do small projects using my large-scale minimal improv process. And there's any range of time. So we can do small pillows. We can plan to do a wool hanging. And there's also like a six-hour workshop or there's a two-day workshop where we end up making just massive bed quilts using the improv process that I've kind of developed. I have a hard time saying that I invented it because I've definitely been inspired along the way. And it would just be very rude and (laughs) terrible to say that I've created it, but I've definitely curated this style and have put it into words and into a buildable and like teachable aesthetic. So I'm really proud of that process. So I would love to teach at more guilds and more retreats and so yeah if you guys are interested in having me at your
0: guild hit me up <laughs> and we can also listen to your podcast tell us the name of it
1: we are the grateful thread podcast inspired by the grateful dead <laughs> our aesthetic is really grungy and moody kind of like their original band so it's a play on that and It is Lacey, who I've talked about, Messerly, Messy Quilts. Her and I get together and we just talk about the quilting industry. We interview friends. We interview people that we've never met before that then become our friends after we interview them. And it's been really fun. It's for everyone. I think we set out originally to create and hold a space for... The younger generation of cultures, but I think it would be really ignorant to ignore how loving and welcoming so many other women from the culting community have been to our podcast. We definitely aim to include everybody. It's not just for young and millennial cultures. It would also be really ignorant to ignore that we are the youngest generation which we're slowly no longer (laughs) I'm happy for that fact but the goal is to make space
0: I love that each quilting podcast I've come across and I've gotten to chat with several of the podcast hosts but we all have our own perspective that's not even quite the right word Because we can enjoy each other's, but we all offer something a little bit unique. And I love that.
1: Yeah, I think that's really special. Lacey and I have tried to get on other podcast hosts as well, because it's really fun. In this industry, across the board, there's other pattern designers. In another industry, that's your competition. And you're probably not hanging out with them. And... (laughs) Collaborating and the clothing industry is really special and unique in that way. And I think that stems across into the podcasting world as well. And we like to celebrate everything everyone else has to offer. So
0: thank you so much for having me on. Oh, yeah. Can you think back to when it finally came across your mind, I can do a podcast? What was your thought process?
1: I don't know if it came across my mind until the first day we went to record (laughs) and we had everything set up. But prior to that, I guess deciding to do it was a little bit of a, I don't know, tongue in cheek. Well, we should start a podcast to Lacey and us laughing about it. Ha ha, that would be so funny. And really kind of stewing on it and my brain is constantly thinking of like business avenues and the logistics of starting something, but more importantly, scaling it. And I thought "Hmm, that'd be kind of fun to do a podcast. I think that would be enjoyable for me. Makes me a little nervous, but it'd be a fun skill to learn. And thinking more about it It's not really a fear, but I have to be really cognizant of how my brain works because once I experience success or get to my goal, I have a really hard time just sustaining it because I want something new and fresh to try to achieve. But going into the podcast, I knew that I really needed to hold that accountable and make sure that it would be set up to have longevity. And I knew that Lacey was the girl for the job. I think we both enjoy organization, but our brains work so differently. I talked about it a little bit earlier, but she is able to take the ideas that I have and just put them into a system and make sure that the things that I'm developing outlast my idea, basically. (laughs) So I think that was the moment that I realized that I could do a podcast was when Lacey said yes to the idea. Yeah, since then, we've just really built out how we want our team to look and how our different roles fit together. And it's been really cool to celebrate each other's strengths.
0: That's great. And you two work so well together. Share with us where we can find your podcast and your business.
1: So you can find both. The easiest way to it is probably just urbandwellstudio.com. And I have all of my stuff linked up. I have the podcast on a tab. You can find my Instagram there and you can shop any patterns. Yeah, I try to keep the blog updated, but sometimes
0: that falls by the wayside (laughs) depending on the season that I'm in great and that will be listed on your episode page also if you want to find it there well Ashlyn thank you so much for sharing with me I loved hearing your story thank you so much for having me it's always so fun
1: to be on the other end of the microphone so I really appreciate it and hope that
0: your listeners really enjoyed this too I'm sure they will Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Of course. Goodbye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview.